Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. On today's episode, we are discussing Chapter 10 of Gabrielle Glazer's American Baby. The chapter is titled The Right Future, and then we'll be talking to our guest, a fellow adoptee, Faith Brady. If you want to skip ahead to just the episode, we will have that timestamp in our show notes, but otherwise stay tuned. Thank you. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Louise. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm good. Pouring rain where I am. So it's always nice. Summer rain is always nice. I love that actually. I love the summer rain. We have we the whole country, it's so hot. It's crazy. I know. Crazy. Well, so here we are again. American baby, Gabrielle Glazer. For those following along, we are on chapter 10, the right. Oh, yes. And before we dive into this, we still are taking votes from our Patreons for books to read for our next season. So far, we've got the girls who went away. It is kind of the same era as what we're reading. So we are open to hearing your ideas. So please send them. If you are a Patreon, we're going to take your vote and tally them up. Also, if you want to become a Patreon so you can (laughs) vote, you can find us on Patreon. Exactly. Um, You can vote and help us out. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It it continues to help support the podcast too. By by becoming a Patreon, you are supporting us reaching more adoptees, which is our mission. So there you go. Back to the cheery book. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Gabrielle. It's not that cheery. Right. (laughs) So the right future. This was actually, I thought it's a shorter chapter. I really liked it because I think this is the kind of stuff I wish non-adoptees would read. Yes, I do too. Because adoptees know this inherently, but I feel like, you know, it's about the history of adoption and where we are. So the right future. How do you want to start it? I'm just kind of overwhelmed by the things I learn in this book. <laughs> I know. Well, this is the first thing that I'm just looking at right now was George and Margaret, you know, who, mm-hmm. who this book is about or focused on. There's a picture of Margaret on her 19th birthday with a beagle puppy that George got her after her second childless Mother's Day. So after she had mm-hmm. have given up, was yeah. forced to give up her baby. Yeah, it's so heartbreaking. The part I was thinking was interesting to me. It was how there was some sort of moral flaw thought about right. the countries with oh the mothers. It, I mean, we oh. kind of know that, but it was actually like a thing. Like it was actually thought about like the new here. I'm just going to read this little part on page 133. The new trend in closed adoptions promoted by the agencies was also consistent with the prevailing view of women who became pregnant out of wedlock. They had morally transgressed and needed to be punished by losing contacts with their sons and daughters forever. The principles of eugenics still embraced by doctors trained in the 20s and 30s offered a scientific underpinning for this argument. Many believe that unmarried women who became pregnant before marriage had a moral flaw that made them unfit to raise children. They could not control their sexual impulses. Just it's so stupefying. And the the punishment being you lose your children. Yeah. And it was widely accepted. It's not severe. I was thinking about it in like a broader sense. Like there's people out there promoting all this, you know, the Louise Wise Agency for one, many adoption agencies, if not all of them, the moral compass, but like regular people, I don't think went into it thinking we're going to punish, you know, like people adopting or people giving up, but that's the tone you're having in the country. So it's kind of like, oh, well, this is better. You know, you can tell yourself a lot of things in life to make yourself feel better. So if the country's telling you something, the overall message is telling you something, everyone's like, oh, this is better for these babies. So if people had questions. Well, I think that's where, you know, Mm -hmm. growing up with the narrative of like, you were so lucky, you know, which the implication being to have escaped, you know, that hellish life with that or whatever, you know, assumptions that all the birth mothers were addicts or 
morally bankrupt or anything. For sure. Teenagers that were dirt poor mm-hmm. and couldn't raise you that, you know, it's not, she gives a lot of examples of babies in here where the mother's coaxed into giving them up and they were just really told what a better life. You can't provide this. They're, the lies about who they're going to. And then they'd find out years later when they found them, none of it was true. Right. I highlighted nowhere did the researchers entertain the possibility that both partners might enjoy sex or that the pregnancies (laughs) like Margaret's and so many scores of others had been accidental. Yeah. And then in the, as late as the 1960s, some adoption officials told mothers their babies had died. Oh, that part. Yeah. Well, especially in the we've had some guests where we have. their birth mothers have said that. Yeah, where they assume they had died, took the baby away and oh, your baby died. Okay. The, the other thing that was so shocking too was deliberately. So some women, they would took babies when women were in psychiatric wards. And then, uh, yes. then the agency would omit that from the records that, you know, yeah. that the, so there's possible mental illness inherited and that that's crazy. never revealed. Never revealed. They actually just changed it all around and made some story up. And they said there was something about playing God. Oh, here's an actual person that worked. And every time we place a child for adoption, we feel like we're playing God. A New York State child welfare official said in 1960, with all the hazards of playing God. They're actually on record saying. Yeah. <laughs> and they knew it. There was a woman who worked at, it wasn't Louise Wise. It was the home that she went to, Margaret Lakeview. Right. Who said. I mean, who actually admitted after years of working there in an interview, it was human, horrible. Like, what did she call it? She called it something, but she knew what was happening inherently with these mothers and children. But that wasn't the language they were preached, right? No. And here's just because this is my new mm-hmm. thing I want to do is highlight the names of these horrible men that perpetuated yes. this and call people in. There was a man named Edmund Pollock of NYU, who declared that the women, the birth mothers, were dominant, aggressive, (gasps) narcissistic, and bitterly hospital. It would have been hard for Pollock to more completely pathologize his 35 subjects who were unaware they were being studied as part of a research project. (laughs) Edmund Pollock, he should be ashamed. I hope he's ashamed in his death. (laughs) I do too. There was, I don't know, just the whole thing, like, all the mothers, just like she circles back how Margaret and George, you know, there's other mothers who tried to come back and get their babies. And over a two-year period, one baby that had an African-American father, Black father, was really told a bunch of lies. And that child was not being put in a home. He was in foster care. When he right. He been cared for by the boyfriend by, and the mother. Yes, yes. And, so many cases of that. And that circled back to Margaret and George, you know, two years staying together as a couple trying I mean, trying to get their baby back, their baby. Yeah. And nowadays, you know, you can't fathom at 19 or 20 that you wouldn't have these rights, but they literally didn't have the rights. It's shocking to me, actually, even though we know it, it's upsetting. (laughs) Well, here's, yeah, the woman that you're talking about. She was brought before Justine Wise Pollier, the judge who was also the president of Louise Wise Services. Mm. Few, it seems, objected to the obvious conflict of interest of a family court judge who made rulings on the clients her agency served. Come on. Sounds like a familiar (laughs) situation going on currently in our. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that brings us basically to the end of the chapter. And next week's chapter called Childless Mother. Oh, yeah, that's going to be a. It's very sad. sad. It's all sad. I'm glad we're reading it in sections because I'm able to absorb it and not get Mm -hmm. like really think about each section and not get overwhelmed. You know, sometimes when you're seeing something, if it's too much at once, you're just depressed, right? Yeah. And this kind of is like, okay, let me think about this section of it. Well, we have a great guest coming up. Yes, as always. Yeah. We have a great guest. And don't forget to subscribe. And download. Yes. <laughs> Thanks every everyone. week. Mm-hmm. Thank you. See you soon. See you soon. Hi, everyone. I know we're always talking to you about our Patreon, but it's super important to us. It keeps us going weekly and we pay for editing. And we've had some amazing underwriters with S12F, Jeffrey Leventhal. You can always hear his episode. It was in season three. And we've had Carol Levitt that's helped us out with 
a lot that's helped us towards our, you know, getting more professional in our podcast. So anything that you can do, that would be great. Make sure to visit us at patreon.com and look for Adoption, The Making of Me. Thanks. Hello, everybody. Here we are for another interview from another guest who, well, actually, she found us through a coworker who was also adopted and listened to the podcast and was told you should listen to this. So then she reached out to be on. And here we are, Faith Brady coming from Mississippi. Good morning, Faith. Good morning. morning. So nice to see y'all. It's nice to see you. So we're going to kind of dive in from the beginning. Tell us your story. So I was placed for adoption in June of 1969 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. My adopted family was in the military. My parents had been married for 10 years and were unable to have children. So that's kind of where I got my name. They had faith that God was going to give them a child. And after 10 years, I showed up. From what I understand, I was in foster care for a month. And then my parents adopted me at about 30 days. So I was adopted the same day that we landed on the moon. So I always say my parents really do love me to the moon and back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I never wanted to find my adopted family. You mean Um, your birth family? My birth family. I'm sorry. Never really had any desire. And I know a lot of adoptees say that. And in the back of their mind, they're kind of like, but, you know, if it really happens, it would be fine. I really didn't. My mother had worked with a lady who at one point, a private investigator had come to their work and had said, you know, did you place a daughter for adoption back in World War II? And she said, yes. And she he said, well, she has found you in your older age. She wants to take care of you and, you know, would like to have communication. She said, Absolutely not. Nobody in my family knows I placed a child up for adoption. My husband doesn't even know. He came back from the war. We got married. We have kids. Tell her you didn't find me. And so always in the back of my mind, I had that fear that, you know, they have their own life. They, you know, my biological mother had done what she did and had moved on with her life. And I didn't want to upset her life. Didn't need her upsetting mine. So I really had no desire. Then you know, I had some health issues come up, had to, I found out I had a bad mitral valve and needed to and, have- And when it. was that? 2015. Just oh, so you really went all those years. Yes, with- all those years. No, my mother had told me at one point, you know, if you ever want to know, we'll help you find I'm like, okay, it's, you know, it's not a big deal. And actually, while I was pregnant with my first child, I had some high blood pressure issues. And my mother, you know, she said, she called- the Oklahoma City Department of Human Services and found out that there was heart disease in my family. And I was like, how do you just call and find this out? But I didn't question her. You know, I was like, okay, whatever. It happened again with my second child. And then in 2015, I had to have open heart surgery. And so that really concerned me because they said I had either had to have had scarlet fever or this had to be genetic for this problem to have occurred. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to do ancestry just to find out, you know, medical history. And my, I have a younger brother. He's three and a half years younger that he was also adopted from another family. And he had always wanted to know, you know, how tall is my dad? Was my dad athletic? Cause my brother's tall. He was very athletic, you know, and my mom was like, we, we just don't know, you know? And so after, you know, we got into our forties, he started asking me, how would I find? And I said, I have no idea. I don't know how to do that. You know? So anyway, I did Ancestry. And when I did that, my mother actually decided to go ahead and give my brother and I our adoption papers. It's interesting not to interrupt that your mother was more, let me give you this or offer this. And you're like, no, it's okay. (laughs) Right. You know, and I, I honestly thought she didn't know anything, you know, but there was one point my husband was in the military as well as my father. And so he was deployed to Saudi Arabia back in the early 90s. And I went home to live with my parents because we were living in Indiana. I was far away from home and young. I was only 21. And so I had had this dream that I got a certified letter in the mail and it said that my adoption was never finished, that I, my mother had never signed the papers, that I was going to have to go back and live with her. And so I'll never forget standing at the washer and dryer. My mom's, you know, we're folding clothes and I'm telling her this story. And she looks at me and says, I wouldn't put it past her. 
and walked out of the room. And I'm thinking, you've told me you have no idea who this is. I don't understand. Is this? And so then I started thinking, maybe this is a family friend or, you know, something. And so I never said anything else about it. We went on our way, but Ancestry connected me with a first cousin. And so I, you know, told her my situation and she responded back and said, every woman in your family has died before they turned 60 from heart Ooh. disease. And I said, you're That's kidding. And she said, wow. yes. She said, all of your mother, your mother, all of her sisters, your grandmother, everyone has had oh. heart disease. Wow. And I said, okay, I have two girls. They need to go to get checked. <laughs> Yeah, And one of them has the same mitral valve problem that I have. And the other one so far doesn't have any issues. So that was a shocker to me at 49, 50, whatever. I don't remember. And are there preventative measures that your daughter can take? There, She just has to stay on, you know, has to be checked by a cardiologist pretty regularly just to see how it's progressing. And there are some things that you can do, but it's eventually going to go bad like mine did. And I had a lot of complications afterwards. I had a heart attack. I had a stroke. I got a blood infection, just all kinds of sort of things. Mm. But through the ancestry and talking to this cousin about, I guess it was Easter of 2020, I pulled up my ancestry and this person said, I know you think your father's name, last name was whatever. She said, but it's not. It's Godfrey and you're my half sister. I had never, you know, you think about your biological mother. I really didn't, you know, I I figured it was a one night stand or something like that. So I never even considered having siblings, you know, that just blew my mind, even though my brother, when he got his adoption papers from my parents, he called me and we talked about it. And I looked on the internet. We found out his parents were married when he was placed for adoption he had nine brothers and sisters. Wow. He was the baby. He was the only one put up for adoption. He was the only one. She oh. they were in the process of getting a divorce. She never told her husband that she was pregnant. And then when he was born, she placed him for adoption. So, you know, he was like, My parents' names are the same. And, you know, and I said, Well, let me check. And so we looked at, you know, where they were. He actually went and knocked on the door because he only lived about an hour away from where they were from. And he knocked on the door and his nephew opened up the door and he said, you know, I'm Jerry and I think my brother is Glenn. And he said, hold on, wait a second, called his dad and they just went crazy. We found the baby. We found the baby. So they all knew they knew there was a baby that there was a baby because they were much older. I mean, he was 47 when he found them. Wow. And one of the sisters had already passed away. She was so much older. But they were from different fathers, but he has one full blood brother that he's now very, very close to. And he's always wanted a brother. So that was, you know, so knowing that he so, had found, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, yeah, great. I want to hear, knowing I wanted had, to know about your adoption papers, right. though, because you yes. said your mom, she gave them to me. Yes. And, you know, it had my mother's name on it. And so that was how I was really able to find the cousin on Ancestry. I knew the last name was the same immediately, you know. And then my sister, who half sister, who on my dad's side found me, and I had been in contact on Ancestry with a young man and asked him if his father's name was what I thought my father's name was. And he was like, no, the only reason I did this is because I thought, you know, that my, the person who raised me as my dad, I really didn't think he was my dad. And I just found out he wasn't. And, you know, so he was very standoffish. We'll come to find out he's my half brother as well. From the father. From the father. Right. And my sister. There's a lot going on there. I'm telling you. My sister. (laughs) Did your mom have, did your mother have any other kids? She did. She placed another daughter for adoption three years Uh, before me. uh. So she was living at home. She got pregnant had the baby, put it up for adoption. And then three years later, she got pregnant with me and her family sent her away to live with her aunt because she was out of control. And, you know, during the sixties, that's just what they did. Let's just, you've embarrassed us once. Let's don't do it twice. And so they sent her away. So that's why she was from Odessa, Texas, but that's why I was born in Oklahoma city. Okay. But through ancestry, I also found that sister that was 
place for adoption by my mother. And so we've been in contact. We've met twice. She travels. And so she comes right through Jackson, Mississippi. And when she does, we'll, she'll stop and we'll have dinner and talk. You know, it's very awkward just because it's, you know, it's a stranger that you're biologically related to. But when my sister Michelle on my dad's side contacted me, I really didn't want any contact. I was like, I'm perfectly happy where I'm at. I don't want, you know, anything. She was very pushy kind of, you know, but you're you my didn't, sister. You didn't want your bubble like burst. I didn't. <laughs> I was perfectly happy right where I was. You know, I was in my fifties at this point, didn't, you know, and trying to process the fact that you have siblings that you didn't know of in your fifties. It's just. I couldn't wrap my head around it. Had you had it not ever occurred to you that might be the case? Never. Like never. so you just you just completely compartmentalized I did your adoption. That yeah. mean, this whole thing means nothing to you. This is my life. Yep. This is my life. The rest of it is just over there somewhere. Did don't your brother Did your brother ever ask you about it? Like, Faith, don't you want to know as well? He didn't. And we never, I mean, my parents and I talked about it once in a while. It wasn't a big issue, you know. With my dad being in the military, I was never really close to their family because we were always gone. He didn't retire until I was 13. So I was married to my husband before I ever spent like Thanksgiving at my grandmother's house. I mean, I don't have any of those connections really with my adopted family. I'm close to them. I love them. You know, my one cousin, when they adopted me, he was out, you know, farming and they took me out in the field to show me to him, you know, and so I'm his favorite and all that kind of stuff. But I was never raised with them. I didn't grow up with them as cousins. You know, I was mm -hmm. much younger than my cousins. So I just never had that connection. And I always thought that was okay because we were military. You know, we moved all the time. And now looking back, I'm thinking it's the military plus it's the adoption, mm -hmm. you know, that I, and I've, I have an aunt, one aunt left who calls me regularly and she tells me all the time, you know, it doesn't matter where you came from. You're mine. You're, you know, we love you. We never, you know, thought anything different of you. I did have my grandfather. He passed away when I was three, but he didn't want my parents to adopt. He was pretty racist. And he said, you know, you don't know what kind of blood they're going to have. You don't oh. know. And then the minute he saw me, all of that went out the window, you know, and I was just the best thing ever. I was the first granddaughter and just, you know, he just, absolutely adored me. So yeah, it just never, it's so weird that I compartmentalized everything. And then yeah. seeing the podcast and listening to your podcast and reading the primal wound, it all started making sense. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't like celebrating my birthday and I never understood why I didn't, I, I've looked back and I see pictures of me at birthdays of my birthday and I'm not smiling, you know, and I, I don't have a lot of vivid memories of birthday parties and things like that. And I realized, oh my gosh, that's what it is. It's the whole primal wound that I have been, you know, harboring this whole time and had no clue because I had nobody to talk to about it besides my brother. I didn't really know any other people that were adopted but I have been in contact with my mother got married. My biological mother got married and she was a stepmother to two children. And I've contacted the daughter and I told her I got her name from the cousin on Ancestry. And I said, I just want to know about her. You know, you lived with her as a child and as a preteen. And what was she like as a mother? And she said, do you really want to know? <laughs> I said, yes, I wouldn't have asked. I didn't want to know. She was bipolar. Mm. She had some pretty severe mental issues. And she said she told me that she had placed two girls for adoption. And her greatest wish is that you both had good families. But she knew she was never supposed to be your mother. You know, she was not supposed to raise you. She was not mentally capable of doing that. And eventually, my this stepsister, I guess, her father divorced her because of her mental health. He just couldn't deal with the highs and lows and that kind of stuff. It was so unchecked back then, mental health. Yes, it was. You know, and she, nobody and she even told me, she said, I can remember taking her to the doctor for her to get medicine and they would just blow her off because in her records, it said she was bipolar. I thought, how sad, you know? And she said, well, I've seen her obituary on newspapers.com and 
had tried to find, you know, like where she was buried. And all it said is she had died alone in her Mm -hmm. apartment. And I thought, how sad that she was, you know, all by herself. Well, they think she probably committed suicide, that it just got so bad that she had did. But she told me things that, you know, you don't realize it's all that nurture versus nature thing. She said, you know, your your mother had gastric bypass back in the early 80s when they first started doing it. I had gastric bypass in 2010. Mm. She said, your mother loved holidays. She celebrated all the holidays. Well, I, even at work, I work at a hospital, but during Christmas, my husband and I wear a different Christmas hat every day in December (laughs) to work. Easter, I have an Easter shirt that I wear. St. Patrick's Day, you know, I don't really decorate at home because we have been living in an RV full time. And then, you know, I just thought, how odd is that, that we both, you know, did those things, you know, not even knowing each other. And it was just interesting to be able to talk to somebody who actually grew up with her as her mother, you know, and she said, she was in contact with her for a long time. You know, they would go a couple of years where they would get in a spiff or whatever. And, you know, because of her bipolar situation, you know, she would be very possessive of her and, you know, she just couldn't handle it. And she said she, you know, was really sad that she wasn't there when she passed away. It was just sad because it was, you know, like three little sentences of her obituary. And through the ancestry, my cousin had let me know that one of my uncles had done a family history book and wanted to know if I wanted a copy of it. And I was like, absolutely. I would love to see, you know, and so I got it and I read through it. And, and were they all in Texas still or? Most of them were in Texas or Oklahoma. Yeah. Okay. I actually, we lived in Wichita Falls, Texas for 15 years. That's where my husband retired from the military. They were literally like 20 minutes away from me. A whole just time. a big circle the whole time. Mm. Yeah. I found out through this book that a guy that was in the choir at our church was related to my cousin on her husband's side. And I had known him, you know, for 15 years and didn't have a clue that, you know, we were sort of related. Another lady in our church, her daughter had married into my biological family. And, you know, so I contacted her. I was like, did you have any, this is crazy how this all works out. But of course you come down to my mother and it's, you know, it's just her has no children underneath it, you know, or anything is like this big blank hole. Mm -hmm. And so I just wrote in my sister and I's name in the year we were born, you know, (laughs) because I'm like, no, she did have children, you know, we're out there somewhere. And when I met my sister for the first time, I gave her the book and I said, she was very standoffish. She, the very first time I sent her a Facebook message and said, okay, here's my phone number here's who I am. You know, I don't know why I have this desire to meet and have a relationship with you versus my other sister. But I think it's because you were also placed for adoption. I think you understand what I am going through and I can understand what you were going through. And so it was probably two or three days and she called me and we talked and we were both teachers We both had two children. We had both been married to the same man for over 30 years. Just, you know, lots of things Mm -hmm. that connected us. Where did Um, she grow up? She was placed for adoption in Odessa because that's where our mother lived. She was in the Odessa area and then the Dallas-Fort Worth area most of her life. She did go to Wyoming at one point with her husband, but, you know, came back to the great state as soon as she could. (laughs) The great state. Has she been... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> has she been, had she been searching? She had not. The oh. only so did reason. You, did you tell her about the heart disease? I did. Okay. Because okay. she had very sad story. She had a baby die at 25 days old and it was heart related. Uh, she oh. had a birth defect, a heart birth defect. And so I told her, I said, I know exactly where that came from. It came from our mother's side of the family. The only reason she even searched is her daughter was having some health issues and she was diagnosed with what's called crest syndrome. It's a autoimmune disease. Her doctor said, because you don't have a medical history, why don't you do 23 and me and see if, you know, it comes up with anything? Well, it didn't. But in talking to my sister on my dad's side, she said, you know, 
our dad was a little cheeky. So there's probably several of us out there, you know, that Mm -hmm. we don't know about. And so she said, one of us talking to my brother, we were doing a zoom kind of thing. And she said, one of us needs to do something besides ancestry. And I said, well, I'll do 23 and me. And that's how me and my sister, Christina matched up. And then she did ancestry just to prove, because it wasn't, you know, for sure that we were related because it comes up sometimes that half siblings could be first cousins, yeah, you know, because of the DNA. And so she was like, no, it says first cousins. And I said, "Mm, yeah, but my other thing says we're half siblings, but she was very standoffish. She, I guess, didn't have, I consider my upbringing the perfect life. You know, I've got to see the world. I had wonderful parents nothing that I wouldn't have, you know, if I had ever met my mother, I would have just said, thank you. You gave me the best life I I could have ever dreamed of. But she, I don't think had that probably three months. She was taken away from her adopted family. Mm. Her skull had fused. And so the state came in and took her away and went and did the surgery. And then they got her back nine months later, but they took her because they said, they didn't think she would survive the surgery. And so not to let them get attached, I guess, or something. Oh my God. So, and she, so where just, was she like a hospital? She or was just in a hospital. Yeah. It's really the luck of the draw. It isn't is. it? Like who it takes really you home? Is. I mean, and she also has an adopted brother from another family, but she was like, I can't do any more dysfunction. You know, this is, I, I just can't do it. And I said, listen, I completely understand where you're coming from because I didn't want anything to do with my other sister to begin with either. It takes a lot to wrap your head around this. And so it was probably, I think we talked in February and then my brother was getting married in Oklahoma in April. And so we drove through her town and stopped. And that's when we met was in April. And so it was really good, but it was really awkward too, you know, because I mean, you've both met siblings and stuff and you're just like, what do, what do I say? I don't know you. You know, it's like meeting a stranger off the street. It's funny. I had the opposite experience. I met my really? siblings and it was as if I felt so close to them and that they're absolutely my sisters. And mm-hmm. yes, it was completely different experience. Yeah. And it's so odd. And it's all about our experience. I think, you know, mm-hmm. she didn't know that there was a sibling out there. I didn't know that there was a sibling out there. And also things will change with time. I haven't met siblings. I haven't met siblings, just cousins, but I'm very close to them now, but it took time. It does. But right away, it was connecting for me. I didn't want it to be. I was more like you, like, oh, whatever. And I was very like, oh, I mean, I was overwhelmed with the connection actually. Yes. But but you're also meeting her when she's very standoffish too. Right. Right. But, you know, I would sit and look at her and go, okay, those aren't my teeth. Let me look at your ears, you know? We kind of keep leaving this whole point, going back to the adoption papers and your adoptive mother and what she knew. It sounds like she knew more than my family thought that my sister and I have had the same father, but we don't. They thought she had gone back to the same man and gotten pregnant again. But obviously that's not true. I don't know how much she knew, except that, you know, she had two girls and, you know, they were just gone after she had them. I don't know that she ever held us. I don't know that. I was thinking about your biological mother. You know, I'm sure just even having her stepdaughter, it had to bring up so much trauma for her giving yes. away two children. I mean, you know, come on. it's uh, And, her and that bi- had to be, yeah. you know, a lot of, I'm sure she had some issues with bipolar before, but I, mm-hmm. I can imagine that that just exacerbated sure. it. You and know? how you, your stepsister said something along the lines of she would try to smother her or get too close. Right. I mean, that's gotta be a lot of transference there. Yes. A lot, a lot. Makes me sad. It does make me sad. It makes me very sad. The first time I ever saw a picture of her, I was like, I don't look anything like her. That's so weird. Then I started looking at pictures of her sisters and I'm the spitting image of one of her sisters. I was convinced that was my biological mother when I was looking, you know, at the family. I was like, oh, that's got to be it because she looks just like my senior high school. And they've all passed away because of the heart. They've all passed away. Yep. Wow. I have one more thing I want to get back to. What about when you read The Primal Wound and such? Besides the fact with your birthday, did you relate to any of the kind of, you know, in relationships or feelings of not? What are some of those? I mean, 
for the longest time, I thought, you know, I don't have any very close girlfriends and I've never had that, but I always thought, well, that's because you were in the military and you just never, you know, you moved every two years. So you didn't get connected to anybody. And then I realized, okay, that's not all that it is. It's that whole primal wound thing that I just don't get attached to anybody. I think for fear of being let go, you know, Mm -hmm. my husband, we have known each other since we were in sixth grade, but I think, you know, I used to have dreams all the time when we first got married, I would have dreams that he had left me, you know, and he, he was always the one in high school that had long-term relationships. You know, he, he didn't just date every other girl. It was these long, and I don't know that had to be, you know, from the primal wound, that whole relationship thing that Mm -hmm. I just never had that connection to. I find it funny that a lot of, I hear a lot of people on your podcast say that when, and especially you two, when you had children, mm-hmm. it was just overwhelming. And I, I don't want my children to hear this, but <laughs> it wasn't for me. I mean, I can remember asking my mom, when do you ever feel like they're really yours? You know, mm-hmm. I, she doesn't feel like she's even mine, even though I carried her for nine months. And my mom said the first time she gets sick and there's no place you, that she can go to except to you, you know, that's when you're going to know that she's yours. And I love my girls with everything that I have and very connected to them. But at the very beginning, it wasn't like that. It wasn't. I'm sure that's an attachment thing. And I think it's an attachment thing, you know, that something I'd lost a baby in between the two girls on our anniversary of all things. And, you know, that was just. I was mm. more broken from That's, that yeah. than, you know, anything. And then finding out my sister had also lost a baby and, wow, you know, it's just, it's a whole lot. That's a lot to process. Mm-hmm. And, it is and a lot heal. to process. A lot to and, heal. And my mother and I, my adopted mother are so bonded. And when I was in college, I could just think, okay, I really need my mom to call me. Cause you know, as the days of long distance phone calls and I couldn't call outside of my dorm room, you know, long distance. And so I would just, Oh mom, I really need you to call me. And within an hour she would call. Do you need something? I mean, we, I just knew her that well. And she knew me that well. It was just, we were completely bonded together as if she were, you know, is she still alive? My mom is still alive. Yes. And has Um, she learned about all of this that you're going through? She has. I've been very open with her. I've, you know, my whole life told her everything. She got very hurt by my brother finding all of his siblings, you know, because he was excited. He was so excited. And (laughs) I mean, he met, he found them in August and September 3rd, like Labor Day weekend. They all showed up at his house, you know, okay, we're going to have a big Labor Day weekend thing with the baby. She She was the missing baby in their family. And she would say, you know, well, he's with his other family. Uh, He's mm -hmm. with his other family. Well, then, you know, I talked to my brother and he had his full blood brother over to her house for Thanksgiving one year. And he cooked and he helped put up Christmas lights, you know, just like she was his mom. It was no big deal. And that's when she understood, you know, I'm not being replaced. It's just, this is another part of him. So she never asks any questions, but I she, always tell her, you know, well, mm-hmm. I talked to Michelle this week or I talked to Christina or Christina came by, you know, her and her husband on their way to Atlanta. And, you know, and so I just keep her connected whether she wants might, to or not. It <laughs> might be good. I gave my mom, my adoptive mom, the primal wound so that she could kind of understand or I pass uh-huh. on. There was a New Yorker article recently. Oh, yeah. The adoptees perspective. So I send that to her to try to help. Her, her understand. understand right. You know. So what your father, we've just lost track of that. He also passed away. Oh, okay. Um, so you never did he, get to meet him. I never uh-huh. met either one of them. It's too bad. Mm-hmm. And getting to meet my sister from his side, you know, I got to learn a lot about him. And it was one of those awkward meetings where her mother was sitting at the restaurant with us, who she had divorced him because he was very cheeky. And so you know, I, I felt kind of awkward talking about him in front of her. But at one point she said, well, that's why I divorced him, you know. <laughs> and when you put birthdays together, there were three women pregnant at the same time. He was cheeky. Uh-huh. She was also in the air. With a little tea of diabetes and alcoholism. So 
with your mother, it was not a relationship. It was just sort of, I don't think so. I think it was just, you know, he was in the air force stationed there, you know, that crazy, all your military connections. I know with your birth father, your father and your husband. Interesting. Uh It's so much. (laughs) So you have two siblings through him. Two that I know of. Actually, there's three that we know of. We've lost Michelle. My sister has lost contact with the other one. She actually knew her growing up, but she was into drugs and things, I think. And so she's lost contact with her. And then just one on my mother's side. Your father's daughter, your sister. Yes. You're in touch with her and you uh-huh. see her. And are you, are you, do you feel like you're getting close? I do feel like we're getting close. Yeah. She, when I saw her last summer, She lives in Pennsylvania, so she's not close, you know, physically to me, but she was in Oklahoma City visiting a cousin of ours. I mean, essentially he was dying. And so I met him as well. Well, he passed away a couple of weeks ago and she let me know, you know, that he had passed away. And so I got to meet some other family while I was there with her, you know, meeting her and her mom and her aunt and things. And so she contacts me more, like she will initiate contact with me. Whereas Christina on my mom's side, I have to initiate still, which is fine. You know, I try not to bother her (laughs) too much because, you know, I don't want to be pushy like, you know, Michelle kind of was, but yeah, I do feel like we're getting close. She's had a lot of health problems. And it's funny because growing up, I would always say I was going to have multiple children and give them away for adoption so that they could all have families like I had, you know, I wanted everybody to have that perfect family. Well, my sister actually was a surrogate mother twice to a set of twins and a set of triplets. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's what I wanted to do. But, you know, I was not happy being pregnant. (laughs) It was just a teenage fantasy. I think, you know, that I just wanted everybody to be as happy as I was. It's so interesting your your story where you've come because it's so late in life to kind of so embrace this stuff. It mm-hmm. is, you know, and it's so odd. It's like this be, little curtain in front of our eyes, and then all of a sudden, right. you're like, wait a second, hold on, yeah. Because for years, you know, people would say once they would find out I was adopted, oh, do you know your birth parents? No, I don't have any desire to know. You know, well, now it's a whole different story. Yes, yes I do know who they are. I've never met them, but I have these siblings that, you know, are out there that I didn't know about. And, you know, it's a, how do your girls, how do your girls feel about it all? They're kind of intrigued actually, you know, that Savannah, they're 29 and 25. So Savannah, who's 29, she's actually met Christina, my sister from my mom's side. She came to dinner with us one night and I, you know, I was, I made sure it was okay with Christina's, you know, are you ready to meet my kids yet, you know, if, if not, just tell me she doesn't have to come. And, you know, she just fits right in. She's a great kid. She's not a kid anymore. I mean, she was just two weeks ago. She was in Scotland by herself Yeah, (laughs) because it was her birthday. So to us, they're always children, but oh my goodness, they're always babies. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we, my husband and I just sold our house about two years ago and decided to RV for life. He's retired military. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. And so we said, you know, we had a four bedroom, three bathroom house and it was just he and I after they had moved out. And I said, we got to get out of here or those girls are going to move back in. Well, <laughs> we had a hailstorm back in March and it destroyed our RV. And so now we're living with our oldest daughter in her apartment in Jackson. And oh, she's the like, irony. Oh, the irony. How funny that is. And she's like, when are they leaving? Exactly. <laughs> but she travels a lot with her job. So we're like live-in dog sitters for her. Oh, so that's it's, nice. You know, her and her sister today, they actually drove to Houston to the Taylor Swift concert. So we had the house to ourselves for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much yeah. for sharing. And Thank I love you. hearing your story. And I'm, I, can't believe that it was our podcast that led you down that path. It's it, amazing. It was, you know, I just, I never thought about looking. I don't know. I guess my age, you know, I didn't know what podcasts were really just information kind of stuff. And then when Sharon, my friend at work had told me, I was like, well, let me listen to this. Oh my gosh, let me binge listen to this. I want to hear everybody's story. And, you know, I kept listening. I was like, I've never heard anybody say that they were adopted into a military family, you know, and had that 
military connection or disconnection with people and then the adoption disconnection with people, Mm -hmm. you know, it all, it's kind of multiplied in my life. I have Um, some military friends and there is kind of that it's very similar. So you think, oh, it's just the military, right? You move, you have to transition constantly. And I have a friend that, you know, she said she grew up in the military. She's not adopted, but she said, do you feel like a chameleon? Like you become whoever you need to become for any situation. I said, oh my gosh, every single day, you know, okay, how do I dress for this situation? Do I want to look like, I don't know who I am. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, I'm whoever I need to be in a certain situation. (laughs) And That's, you know, from the military, I think, and also from being adopted. I just, you know, for years didn't know who I was. Same. I I think that was protection. How you didn't want to know more, you know, that's protection. Like I think so too. I'm in my lane. I'm doing well. I don't need anybody. Everything's great. I don't need. That was kind of me too. Don't pop my bubble because my bubble's comfortable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bubbles can be very comfortable, right? Right. Very limiting. Yeah. You You know, know, my brother. Grow. he met both of his parents. His dad didn't know that he had been put up for adoption. He said, if I'd have known, I would have kept you. He's now in his father's will. Maybe your brother wants to be on the podcast. I, I should tell him. Yes. Don't tell him. him his, don't tell us his story. Let him yeah. tell us his story. He probably wouldn't ever do it, but it's so unique to have so many siblings and yes. you know, they all know and nobody knew. For some reason, I got into my head. You know, I don't know a lot of the things that I was told if I made them up to satisfy my own story, but I thought that my mother had told me once that she thought he had three or four siblings and that maybe his mother had been a prostitute. Oh. <laughs> I don't know where I got that, you know. That's and, what I have demonizing the birth mother from the 60s. Yeah, you know, it, and I she might have been told shaming. that. She might have been told that. So she might have. And you know. I don't, you know, reading my adoption papers, I don't remember any identifying information except her name. Mm-hmm. And that's um, a pretty identifying information. It, it really is. <laughs> but it, I don't remember her saying, you know, how old she was or the situation or anything like that. And my dog ate the papers like at one Come point. On. I, oh my. I, left, you know, my dog. Oh my gosh. Not the one that I have now, but she's a Labrador retriever and she was very attached to me. And when I left her, she would grab things off the counter and eat stuff. And she ate my adoption papers. Oh my gosh. Of all things. I know. That is just a couple of ironic twists in your story. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We'll keep irony everywhere. Will you keep us up to date how it goes with everything and also your health? I mean, this is. Yes. I'm so glad you caught that and. Yeah. I am too. Cause when I turned 50, my doctor had told me at 46, he said, if we don't fix this now, you have four to five years to live. Oh, so when I turned gosh. 50, I was like, I did it. I made it to 50. And so yeah, uh, that's and, something to celebrate. Right. And my mother, my biological mother actually died when she was 54 and I Ooh. turned 54 this year. So <sighs> I will have outlived her and outlived, you know, a lot of my aunts who died young because of it, you know. Well, we hope you live a very, very long life. You're wonderful. I am taking action to do that. I have taken control of my health. I've gone to see a functional medicine doctor. Oh, good. I'm, you know, I just said, I'm tired of living like I'm a heart attack waiting to happen. Yes, good. So it's good. It's been a lot, but it's been, you know, it's getting so much better. So, and being able to tell my girls and to tell both of my sisters, you know, and especially the one sister, be careful and let your daughter know this is something we need to be aware of. And we need to constantly, you know, be vigilant about. This is another Um, layer of adoption, you know, losing who you are in the closed adoption process. Right. Cause I've Mm -hmm. always, these things can be life-threatening. Yes, The fact that adoptees don't know their medical history, you know? And my brother used to say, I just want to know medical history. I don't want to know the family. I just want to know medical history. And I would tell him, you know, they don't go back 40 years and say, oh, by the way, grandpa died of such and such or aunt so-and-so died of such and such. They don't do that. You have your birth records from 40 some odd years ago. You yeah. Know, and all that's they why, knew that's then. why that, that is a, a plug for Ancestry and 23andMe because yeah. we can find those things now. Exactly. And that's, I think, healing for us because there's so much unknown, you know, every mm-hmm. doctor's appointment you go to, I don't have any medical history. I'm adopted. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like the, the adoptee refrain. Exactly. 
All right. Thank you so thank much, you. Faith. It was so great to meet you and have you this on. This was very therapeutic to be able I'm to so tell glad. my story. So thank I'm you so, so glad. much. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for making this available to so many of us. I thank appreciate you so it. much. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to okay. you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, faith is is faith. I like yeah. the name goes with her, doesn't it? Yes, I really, like a, really a shifting like faith. Like faith was certain thing, and now faith is another thing. Yeah, I'm not religious, but I <laughs> I appreciate the sentiment, and I really I love that a that she listened to our podcast and went and read the primal wound and connected all the dots, and you know, I mean, it's. I feel really great that that was her path. I have a little a little thing when she was talking about that. I was thinking, Sarah, you and I work like we work during the week. Everyone, yes, is, you know. So we work and then we podcast and we work and we try to really stay in touch with what's going on and listen to things and read and educate ourselves. And we forget that like we're helping someone somewhere. Yes, I, I forget that like that. That's actually that there's someone listening, going, "Oh, this is interesting." I'm thinking you and I put out that content. I know kind of blows my mind sometimes. And sometimes we're really exhausted or, or, you know, Mm -hmm. taking on energy sometimes can be intense. Like I'll find myself after we interview two to three interviews in a day, feeling pretty exhausted. You know, Shari said, I think you take on the energy, Sarah. But at the end of the day, it's worth it just for the results and all the, I mean, we are helping people. It's, I never thought of it that way. It's I just, never did either. It was nice to hear from her how she went through it. And we talked yes. to her before the podcast. So we got a little of that, but she has a wonderful story. So that was yes. fun. Yeah. That was a great interview. All right. Well, what do we say? What do we say? <laughs> Another great episode. Another great episode. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.